0: morning, Fairfax. So good to be here worshiping with you guys this morning. I'm Valerie. And
1: I'm Jenna. And whether you're joining us here in person, whether you're in the great room, in the hangar, or joining us online, we are so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, We just have a few announcements to share with you, and all the information about the announcements that we're sharing can be found uh, by scanning the QR code. If you're here in the blue seats, that's a little QR code on the armrest of the seat in front of you, you'll see it. You can scan that, get all that information. Um, If you're elsewhere in the building, there might be an orange card that you have. Uh, It's that same QR code, and you can get more details about everything we're talking about today. One of the things we're really excited to share with you is that we have a brand new Fairfax Church app. Woo-hoo! So um, you can find a link on that QR code or you can just go to your app store and search for Fairfax Church. And the purpose of this app is to help you get connected at Fairfax Church. So you can log in with your phone number um, and then you can get connected to all sorts of things like small groups. You can do your giving through there. You can check in your kids. There's lots of cool things that you can do through the app. Mm-hmm. Um, and be sure to check out your profile information and you can add a picture for you and your family members and just make sure all your contact information is up to date
0: it's really cool. I'm, I'm really excited for this app. Um, one other thing that we're launching this weekend is registration for our fall small groups. They're getting ready to kick off September 14th, and so we're super excited about that. If, you, if you're not currently in a group and want to get involved, um, everything's on our website. You can look through all the different groups. We've got groups for lots of different stages of life around here, so if you want to find community, Um, Find folks that you can pray together with, study the Bible together with, do life together with. That's what our small groups are all about. So um, look that up. out. There's also a table out in the lobby. Look that up online or go out to the table and find the group that's right for you this fall.
1: And if you are college age, whether you're enrolled in college or in trade school, or you're taking a gap year, uh, we would love to invite you to participate in the Fairfax College community um, with special Fairfax College small groups as well. Uh, You can learn more about that online or stop and talk to our Fairfax College team out in the lobby, they would love to meet you.
0: And our next session of the season is healing, season for healing is coming up in September also, mid-September they're gonna start. It's basically a four week session for folks that are just struggling and just wanna um, connect and learn um, what, just going together to go through some of this with other people. Um, So Season of Healing, starting in September. If you're interested, there's also some care folks out in the um, lobby that can talk to you about getting signed up for that. You can do that through our app as well um, or online. And I also am excited to um, share with you guys this morning, I know we had talked about um, our Backpacks and Beyond program and how you guys just blew us away with so many backpacks that um, we got over here, over 300, close to 400, I think, backpacks that we got. So we have been giving those away. We gave those away to all the 150 students um, that came that we helped sign up for the Title I services, and it was amazing. But with the surplus, we've actually been able to give um, more above and beyond than what we thought we were going to be able to do. We um, gave 50 to Afghan refugee families for their kids that are starting school tomorrow, like many of you guys. Um, and even um, we got a request into the resource center just this past Friday of a family that was um, really, really stressed and worried because they weren't able to provide um for their kids starting tomorrow. Um and so we were able to put all that together for them. Their social workers coming today to pick it up so that they can have that for the start of school tomorrow. So I could not be thank you, yes. Woo seriously. I could not be more proud of being a part of this congregation. Your generosity just blows us away, and it's just so amazing to see what God is doing in our community through the work of this church um, and the Resource Center and all of your generosity. So thank you guys so much for that. Um, if you want to make giving a part of your worship today, you can do so in a couple different ways. There's offering boxes in the back. You can do it online. You can do it on the app. Um, there's lots of different ways. So, All right, we're going to turn our attention now. Um, we're going to get back into the series. That's amazing series that we've been doing through First John. So take a look at the screens.
2: So glad to hear that. Welcome to Fairfax Church. My name is Jessica Eifelect. I'm one of the pastors to students here. And we are so glad that you're here. Whether you're joining us in the blue seats or out in the great room or in the hangar or watching us online, thanks so much for making us a part of your Sunday. So uh, first things first, before we go any further, did you guys get one of these as you walked in the doors today? Does everyone have one of these? If you don't have one of these, will you just raise your hand? We're not going to use them for a couple of minutes so you have time to get one. But um, we have more in the back and we're going to make sure that you have one of these papers, hopefully. We're going to make sure. Looks like we've got several that we need, Um, several folks that need them. I can't tell. Hey, Michelle, will you see if anybody is uh, out there that maybe has some extras that can pass them out for me? Yeah, there we go. Thank you. Uh, so they're coming around. There. So hold your hands up. You just need one of these. Also, if you have a pen, um, you're going to want a pen for this whole thing we're going to do, in, or a pencil or something to write with. Uh, if you don't have one, like, it's not critical, but um, you might want one. So, yeah, hold your hand up, uh, and, and they're coming around with some, and, um, and we're going to do that in a minute. So... Um, I don't know about you, but I'm real glad it's August 21st. Uh, not, just, not because my kids are going back to school tomorrow. My kids are not going back to school tomorrow. Um, Ella doesn't start back to preschool for a couple of weeks. But um, it is August 21st. Uh, back to school is tomorrow. Which means that my nanny, who has been in Jordan visiting her family since June 6th, is officially back in the country. And, uh, and so she will be back to work on Tuesday. Which is like, let the church say amen. like oh my goodness. Uh, So um, we're so glad that she was able to go and uh, absolutely she went with like our yes, go, be there all summer long. It's a big deal for her. Um, But yeah, it's like it's a sign of God's faithfulness to me that I'm standing here before you on August 21st with this summer behind me. It was a great summer. I have no complaints, no complaints about the summer. We vacationed in Michigan with our family and uh, we had a great summer with hangar students. But um, I'm real glad that it's a August 21st. So when I was in college, there was a philosophy professor who was kind of infamous for being a little bit eccentric. And um, I'm pretty sure, if I'm remembering correctly, he was also the chair of the philosophy department. So I don't know what that says about my university or the philosophy department at my university. But uh, but he, he was different. He had a different style of teaching. Maybe what I'm about to describe to you is a normal thing for a philosophy professor. But I know that the other sections of philosophy at my college, they did not teach their classes this way. So there was always a wait list though to get into his class because uh, there, there was, it was a really popular class to take even though it was different it was, it was always really popular and so somehow I got into it the second semester of my fr- philosophy 101 I got into philosophy 101 the second semester of my freshman year and um, one of the reasons that he had the reputation that he had was because the way that he would teach the class was uh, primarily by throwing out these, um, these questions that were impossible for anyone to answer fully, right? And then he would, he would throw the question out there and then encourage the class to kind of debate the question, to just like, to like, you know, fight basically, to like, to like debate the answer to the question. Um, and so for example, the first question that he would start with at the beginning of each semester was, how do you know your mama loves you? And he would ask this question and, you know, immediately everybody in the room is like, well, because my, she, you know, she's provided for me my whole life. She raised me. She hugs me. She kisses me. She says she loves me. And, you know, he's been doing this for what, like decades. And so every single answer that you have, he has a response to that demonstrates that that is not evidence that your mama loves you. Maybe she tells you. Maybe when she tells you she loves you, she's lying. Maybe she only prov- provided for you your entire life because she doesn't wanna go to jail if she doesn't, right? Like maybe that's the reason why she has done those things and not because she loves you. And his point was that at the end of the day, there's no way to prove another person's love for you in an objective way, right? You just have to take their word for it ultimately. And, uh, and then we would get to the end, right? He would get us all worked up, all flustered, imagine, 18, 19-year-old college freshman, and uh, he would get us all in a Philosophy 101 class, get us all worked up and flustered, and then he would be like, okay, moving on. And there was no, like, paper, there was no grade for this discussion that we were all so engaged in. It was just, like, onward. So John might have had better luck in this class coming up with an answer. Um, Because in our text today, we're going to talk about, among other things, how we can know that God loves us. What's the evidence of God's love for us, so we're nearing the end of the series that we've been in called Love and Light on First John, and if you've missed any of the previous weeks, I want to encourage you to go back and check them out online. It's been a really great series for understanding um, how we how love and light, which is John's metaphor for truth, uh, are interconnected, and of course, those things are more nuanced than our culture normally thinks about it. And so, in it, John is asking us to consider more or less what is shaping our lives. And as a refresher, 1 John was written by the Apostle John, who, uh, who also wrote the Gospel of John. And 1 John was likely written between 85 and 95 AD, probably from Ephesus, and about a decade after the Gospel of John was written. John is alarmed by the increasing threat of false teachers who are uh, teaching things about who Jesus is that just are not True. And the divisions that this is sowing within the churches is so disheartening to John. Uh, he's now an elderly man, likely one of the last of those who knew Jesus. And, and so he's encouraging the followers of Jesus to love others the way that God loves them. So the letter is reinforcing some key beliefs, some key doctrine that is starting to take shape in this early church because John recognizes that behavior flows out of belief and he wants to impact their behavior so he's trying to reinforce their beliefs Uh, and so he is um, so he's trying to change their behavior. He wants them to see how the uh, he wants to see the behavior change but he also wants them to be clear on what it is they believe so that they can uh, appropriately address the false teachings that they're encountering. Now John reminds these churches that belief and behavior and their interconnectedness is reflected in the very character of God, that God is both light, truth, and love, that light exposes the darkness, that it brings truth to bear on things that are being said that are not true. Love is the product of truth. Truth without love is not really true, and love without truth is not really love. And so what you believe should impact how you behave. Knowing and believing the truth should impact how you love. So over the last six weeks, we've been looking at the interconnectedness of love and light through the lens of what's shaping us as a people, what's forming us, what's influencing our decision-making, what's guiding our relationships. And we've talked about why the world should not be what's shaping us and about how to deal with the lies that try to shape us. And we've talked about what should shape us, the truth about who we are and who God is and love. Which brings us to our text for today. It's 1 John 4, 7-21, which is what's, what's written on uh, your paper here. And here's what I would like for you to do. Get that handout out and hopefully you have a pen or pencil or something to write with. And um, and we're going to read the passage. And every time we come to the word love, I want you to say it with me out loud with conviction. Okay? With enthusiasm. It's 1115. You guys have been up for a while, hopefully, you're awake, so I want, like, I want to hear it, okay? So, um, so we're going to say those, just when I get to love, you're going to say it with me. And, um, and if you have a pen or something you can write with, then um, circle it on, uh, on your paper. If you're watching online, I think I forgot to say this earlier, but the host should have a link so that you can go to a PDF to pull up the handout if you're watching online. And I'm expecting you to do it also. This is the honor system, but also, you know, technology and cameras all know. I'll know if you don't do it, if you're sitting at home. So, um, so we're going to read this together. Um, all right. 1 John 4, 7 through 21. Dear friends, let us. Love. Good job. I like your start. Uh, for, let's, Larry, let us love one another. For, love. comes from God. Everyone who love. has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not, love. does not know God because God is. This is how God showed his among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is not that we, but that he, us, and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so us, we also ought to one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we. One another, God lives in us, and his is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the God has for us. God is whoever lives in Lives in God and God in them. This is how is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in. But perfect drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Sorry. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, The one who fears is not made perfect in. We, because he first... Whoever claims to God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this commandment. Anyone who God must also their brother and sister. What do you think is important to John? Yeah, this is tab in the dark. 27 times. That's how many that's how many times love shows up in these few Verses. If you were here a few weeks ago, uh, you remember maybe a story that I told you about John that I wish now I had saved for this week. Um, and it was a story about Jerome, the ancient church historian, who wrote in his church history a uh, story about this John, John the Elder, and about how his disciples, when he was an old man, elderly, couldn't even walk, they would carry him into these churches for him to like preach to the congregation or whatever. And he would come into these churches, and uh, and all he would say is, "Little children, love one another. Little children, love one another. Little children." love one another and his disciples weary of hearing the same sermon the same four or five words over and over and over again would say to John why do you always say this and his response is it is the master's command and if that alone is done it is enough. Tracks doesn't it with what we know about John from his writings. Clearly this idea is a really big deal to John foundational even and to be fair not just John it's uh, Paul that said, if I speak in the tongues of men but have not love, I am nothing but a clanging symbol, right? It's John, it is Paul that said that, uh, that above all, that love, um, faith, hope, and love, but of these, love, right? And here, John argues that love is the evidence that you know God. If you do not love, you do not know God. So here's what I want to do this morning. I think we need to drill down a little bit on love. We need to understand what this word means in this context. And then I want to break apart this passage because I don't know about you, but I feel like it's going 30 different directions. And, uh, and then we're going to wrap up by talking a little bit about how this might be the real answer for all of our problems in the world, in our lives, hyperbole, maybe, maybe not. Okay. Um, so uh, you maybe know this already, but there's lots of Greek words for the word love, for our one English word, love. And that's not super surprising, right? Because when I say I love popcorn, I clearly don't mean the same thing as when I say I love my children, right? And so in English, we have the one word, but in Greek, we have a number of different words. John's love of choice, the word that he likes to use pretty much exclusively in both the gospel and in his letters is the word agape. Now, agape is, uh, is a word that means... Um, I wanna make sure I say it right. A love that is characterized, not by a concern for oneself, but for others. It is a sacrificial love that is defined by self-sacrifice. Love is sacrificial when it costs you something important or valued. I'm gonna, um, we're gonna use the whiteboard a little bit. How many teachers? Do we have any teachers in the room? Look at our teachers. Can we give it up for our teachers? Yeah. Back to school tomorrow. I know you've been back in your classrooms for weeks getting ready. But, um, yeah. So, uh, so we're going to, everybody else, all the kids have to go back to school tomorrow. So I felt like we needed to use our brains a little bit as well. Seems only fair to me. So, um, so, uh, so love is sacrificial when it costs you something important and, uh, and valued. And that can be um, something that is like a life and limb. Of value and importance and when that is the case when it's something that is like you're sacrificing your life and limb say something like a kidney donation um, when that's what's being sacrificed then that or in some cases I mean we're a we're in a we're, we're a military church right like when when a life is sacrificed right um, out of love for another person then that obviously is like a really important that should be honored Absolutely. But it doesn't have to be that kind of sacrifice to be counted as a sacrifice. Over here, maybe you have, like, not going to my restaurant for dinner tonight. Right? Like, we'll go to your place again for the 400th time. Uh, Not going to my... So that's also a sacrifice, I mean, depending on you and your, I don't know, I don't know what's, a, what's like a small sacrifice for you, but it's like a continuum, right, of how important or how valuable something is for you that determines whether or not it is a sacrifice for you in a relationship. And I think it's also true that like this one, like the things that you would put over here on this side of your continuum, when you do them like a hundred times over, they kind of add up to maybe a bigger sacrifice, right? So even small sacrifices can build up over time. So, uh, so yeah, it doesn't have to be a kidney donation level sacrifice. Let me say also that we have had at least two that I'm aware of um, organ donations just among people in our church to other people in our church and both of the instances uh, that I'm aware of in my 14 years here have been between people who did not know each other when they promised to give each other an organ from their own bodies right so sacrifice does not require that there be a relationship in order for the sacrifice to be made it's not sacrificial love because you know somebody it's anything that costs you something right anything time you go where you'd rather not go or, uh, or do what you'd rather not do, it's sacrifice. So if you're having trouble, though, with this sacrifice language, and I understand that because I, I was having a little trouble with the sacrifice language. I spent a really long time with a friend this week going back and forth about when does it count as sacrifice and when does it not? Like when, like how do I feel confident that I'm loving in a sacrificial way? Like what if the thing that has been, has been done doesn't, didn't feel like a sacrifice to me when I did it, but it felt sacrificial to you when you received it. Like, does that count as sacrificial love? I don't know. Or, uh, or what if it's something that was just really easy for me? Like, it just wasn't a big deal. Um, and does it have to be, like, sacrificial? Yeah, anyway, that just, it was something that I was kind of struggling with. Um, maybe try then thinking about agape love as not only sacrificial, that's certainly a component of it, but maybe try thinking about it in terms of incarnate love. A love that's living, love that's walking around, love that's doing. Um Love that's made flesh. After all, we're talking over and over in this letter about abiding in God. About being with God and about God being with us. And so there is an incarnate nature to the kind of love that's being expressed in this letter. Jesus is the incarnate God. God made flesh who lived and walked among us. In the message translation of the first part of the Gospel of John, uh, John says that Jesus moved into the neighborhood when he became, when he took on flesh and, and came to walk among us. The way that the message translates that is that Jesus moved into the neighborhood. And so maybe think of incarnate love as being something that is uh, evidence of God's love for us, um, where we are living with one another. We live our lives beside one another. That your joy is my joy. That your sorrow is my sorrow. And sacrifice might be a part of that kind Of love. You likely make sacrifices for incarnate love all the time, but sometimes it doesn't necessarily feel like sacrifice. I would I would say that you can't have incarnate love for another person without a relationship. So whereas with sacrificial love, you don't have to have a relationship to be loving someone sacrificially. You can't be living life with another person, sharing their joys and sorrows without a relationship between you and the other person. So, uh, so I think that's a significant difference between them. But I also think that there's like a fluidity back and forth. In a marriage, you are living life with another person, and you are also daily sacrificing for that other person or if you're not then i have a marriage tip for you today you should be sacrificing daily for that other person right the same thing in our in your parenting if you have children that are living in your home you are likely sacrificing daily for them in as you live alongside of them and so agape love is this combination of all of these things all rolled together sometimes more one sometimes more the other but all of these ideas kind of poured into one so this is the love that John is talking about. Sacrificial love, incarnate love. So given that, what is John trying to tell us about this kind of love in this passage? Did any of you have English teachers who really liked to diagram sentences, like in high school? Oh gosh, there were some groans, I'm sorry. Um, Are any of you English teachers who teach sentence diagramming to your high school students? Anybody, we had a few at 9.30. I don't see any hands. Okay, I had a ninth and twelfth grade teacher, Mrs. Stockton, she was my English teacher in ninth and twelfth grade because we read uh, Greek literature in ninth and twelfth grade at my high school, and she was obsessed with Homer. Um, so she taught both. So anyway, so she and she loved diagramming uh, sentences. We spent a lot of time in both ninth and twelfth grade doing that. We're not gonna diagram the sentences of this passage today, but we're gonna do some diagramming of like the theology of this passage today because there was a lot of layers to it. And at least for me, a visual was helpful for me to try to wrap my mind around what was going on. So hopefully this is helpful for you. Um, we will see. So we're going to kind of start at the beginning and we're going to work our way down because John is making an argument here that is kind of a three-pronged argument and, so, and it builds on each other. So we're going to start at the top and work our way down. Um, so we're starting in verse 7. So the Greek sentence in verse 7 opens with this, like, striking alliteration. It's literally, beloved, let us love. Or in Greek, it's something like, agapitoi, Agapomen. Right, so the same root, that agape root that's repeated twice just in that beloved let us love one another um, phrasing. And so uh, the very first thing we have on our diagram is us loving one another. That is our opening command from John. John. Beloved, let us love one another. He then continues by developing this argument for agape love. He states it twice. First, he says, for love comes from God. So we have God and we have love. And he says, God is love. So God is both the source of and the origin of love. Love comes from God and God is love. So since God is the source and origin of love, and all love derives from God, that it stands to reason that everyone who loves, whether they're loving God or their neighbor, is loving with that agape, sacrificial, incarnate love. And everyone who is loving that way, if you are loving one another, then you have been born of God and you know God. This is still in verse 7. We're going to take the word know. We're going to put it over here and save it for later. Okay. Um, So not only is God the source of all true love, but God is love in God's inmost being. That's back over here. All right. So um, for the truth that God is love... So we can unpack this a little bit more. John draws a further deduction, which is the negative and exclusive of that sentence, right? So he kind of flips it. So uh, so if you love like God loves, then you know God. If you do not love like God loves, then you do not know God. All right? So not only is God the source of all... T- oh, sorry, I just read that. So love is as much a sign of Christian authenticity as it is righteousness. Love is a sign of you that you are an authentic Christian just as much as it is a sign that you are walking in righteousness. So um, verse 8 says that the God who is love loved us and expressed that love by sending Jesus to earth. So the source of love and then sends Jesus. Now Jesus Is the expression of the agape love in two different ways. Right? Because Jesus was the incarnate. Which I'm drawing my little version of a world here. I'm not an artist. And also because Jesus represented sacrificial love through his atoning death on the cross. Which we're going to talk about uh, a little bit more. So, um, So God, who is love... And is the source of love expresses that love to us by sending us Jesus, who lived and walked among us, moved into the neighborhood, and who sacrificed himself for us. Jesus is the revelation of and evidence of God's love for us. Verse 11, we read that the manifestation of God's love as Jesus not only assures us of God's love for us, but lays upon us the obligation To love one another. So, no one who has experienced the incarnate and sacrificial love of Jesus can walk away from that experience being selfish or isolated. And so, uh, when you have experienced it, then not only do you walk away different, but the implication is then that your love should resemble God's love. Since God loved us, so we also ought, in both our witness and self sacrifice, to love one another. So, God loves us, and therefore we love one another with the same love that God has for us. Okay, are you with me so far? Great. Um, Okay, so God's love is not only seen in the person and work of Jesus Christ, however, for God who is love still loves, right? So if Jesus is like the historical example of God's love, God sent Jesus. That was the example of God's love through the incarnation and the sacrifice. But God didn't stop loving once Jesus had died and been resurrected and all that. God continues to love. And so there is now a new manifestation of God's love in the world. And that, my friends, is us. So uh, today God's love is seen in and through our love. And so John's next argument for this reciprocal love is based on God's present and continuous activity of love. The thing is that we can't see God physically, you know, in person. But we just said that Jesus is the manifestation of God and God's love here on earth. Now John goes on to say that if we love each other, then God lives in us and God's love is made complete in us. Okay, stay with me. If we love one another, if we, us, if we love one another then if, hang on, I'm gonna, yeah, no, yeah. If we love one another, then uh, that love that we have which is the agape love, the sacrificial incarnate love of God? Remember that God is also is love, right? We have these two. We have these two statements that John has made: that God both is love, and that Jesus is the is the evidence of God's love. So, if we love one another, then God, who is love, a little bit of math thrown in here with everything with our equal sign, God then is in us because God is love. If we love, then God is in. Does that make sense? It's kind of this circular if-then statement, all right? So if we love, uh, then God is in us. That is the unseen God who once was revealed in Jesus is now revealed in God's people if and when they love one another. Now we're at verse 13. The only way all this is possible is because of the Spirit. Okay, catch this. John Stott, who is a theologian that I leaned on very heavily for uh, understanding this passage. He argues in his commentary on 1 John that the words do not mean that when we begin to love, God comes to dwell in us. But the reverse. Our love for one another is evidence of God's indwelling presence. John goes further still. Reciprocal Christian love means not only that God lives in us but also that his love is made complete in us. It would be hard to exaggerate the greatness of this conception. Let's sit on this made complete idea for just a second. N.T. Wright says that God's love being made complete is a process statement. That it's part about a journey. That it's being perfected. Not that it is perfected but that it's being perfected. And Stott says that, uh, that that being made complete in us statement means that it's a developed and mature love. So the kind of love that is made complete when we have our If, then, circle here. The kind of love that's being made complete is not so much a finish line kind of love as it is the kind of love that you have when you've been on the journey for a minute and you've seen some things. It's something that is being perfected in you. It's a maturation of your love, a development of your love for one another. So let's put that down here. Being made complete means being perfected And it means mature, developed. I think all of those words, at least for me, were helpful for trying to wrap my mind around what the being made complete idea was. Now we're in verse 13. So God living in us has been said a lot in this text. But here in verse 13 we see a shift. Now it's reciprocal. We live in God. And God lives in us. Now, each time this reciprocal indwelling is stated going forward, there's going to be some evidence or test attached to it. So in this first instance, the evidence or the test, the evidence that God lives in us and we live in God is, the, is that God has given us the spirit. So uh, so now we have this other evidence of God's love that is the spirit. So the spirit is also what enables us to understand and testify to the incarnate love of God in Jesus and to love God and one another. So it's a bit of a circular argument because it's the spirit, we know that we live in God and that God lives in us because of the spirit. Because God has given us the spirit. And we know that we have the spirit because we have acknowledged Jesus to be the savior of the world. Let me say that again. We know that we live in God and God in us, that like two-way street of indwelling, because God has given us the spirit. The spirit is what allows us to know that. And we know that we have the spirit because we have acknowledged Jesus to be the savior of the world. So the spirit is both the evidence that God is in us and it is the spirit that makes it possible for us to know who God is through Jesus. Again, John Stott says, belief and love are not the conditions of the indwelling, but the tests and evidences of it. Belief and love are not the conditions of the indwelling, however, but the tests and evidences of it. So belief and love, you don't have to have belief and love. The completion doesn't have to happen first for God to be in you and for you to be in God. Instead, the completion, that God is in you, belief and love, those are the evidence that God is in you and that you are are in God. It's by this that we know that we live in him, in verse 15. So, let's come back to our little note here about knowing. It is one thing to know and believe. That is important. That's a piece of the puzzle. But it cannot stop With knowing and believing. It's not enough to just know that God sent Jesus. It's not enough to just believe that that is true. To know and believe the love that God has for us. And that God is love. It is another thing entirely to live in love ourselves. Incarnate love. To live out this love. It is an entirely different thing. And it is critical to the whole puzzle. The love that started with God became incarnate with Jesus, is now made complete in us. And the only way to have that agape love, to have a sacrificial and incarnate love, is to live in the love, is to do it. To live it out in your daily life. To walk in it. To be the incarnate love made flesh. That alone makes possible both belief, truth, light, right? That alone makes possible both the belief and the love. Truth or belief and love are the fruit and therefore the evidence of living in God. So this whole thing, us to one another, if we love one another with the God that, love that God has for us, God therefore dwells in us. The evidence that this is happening is that we are doing it. The evidence that the, that the circular indwelling thing up here is happening is that we don't just know, we don't just believe, we do. Okay, so now we've got what feels like to me an out of nowhere reference to judgment day. Don't let this throw you, okay? Um, John is saying that our confidence is a sign that our love has been made complete, okay? That we are like Jesus, not because we're doing it all the right way or living without sin, but because we are like Jesus in our standing with God. If we are doing these things, if we are loving one another with the love that God has for us, this agape love, then we are loving the same way that Jesus is loving and therefore our standing before God is the same, right? If all of this is happening, then we have the same standing before God that Jesus does and that's the reason we don't have to fear anything on judgment day. The reverse is also true as John states here, if you are not loving... One another, with the love that God has for us, then you do have something to fear on Judgment Day. right? And so uh, so if you've got if this, then that, all of that, this is the evidence, and if all of that is true, then you have confidence in Jesus. On the day of judgment if you're living it if the evidence of your life and living it is true then you have confidence in jesus on the day of judgment and of course the reverse is true too so verse 19 we are not afraid of god instead we love our great characteristic john says as the people of god is that we do not fear we love and the reason is that god first loved us and then in verse 20 and our confidence that we are god's continuing manifestation of love requires that we love our brothers and sisters. John does not mince his words here. If how a person behaves contradicts what he or she says, they are a liar. To claim to love God while hating our brothers and sisters is to lie. So if there is the evidence of this through the way that we live our life, if we have confidence in Jesus Christ and in what God has done for us and in the way that we are loving, then it all comes back to... Believe it or not, love our brothers and sisters, which, if you're paying attention, is where we started. Okay? <laughs> so. Uh, also, John says, you can actually see your brothers and sisters. And just to be clear, we're not just talking about, like, you know, your actual biological uh, or otherwise brothers and sisters. We're talking about anybody that you are in relationship with. The, the, the You know, we're talking about, like, Brother James and Sister Julie and all of that, right? The more, like, familiar church brother and sister. All of those people are right in front of you. You're in relationship with them, John says. You can see them. So it stands to reason that you have more opportunity to love those people. That there is are more ways for you to sacrifice for and live incarnate with those people as opposed to God whom you cannot see. And so it is, it is in some ways harder, John is saying, to love God. and So you have no excuse for loving your brothers and sisters because it is easier to love them than it is to love God. Besides, at the end, verse 21, Jesus told us to do it, so do it. Right? It's like Jesus back in the Gospels, when the, te- when the one uh, teacher comes and says, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind. And, uh, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is the one who put all of this together. John is really just taking a whole lot more words to tell us the same thing that Jesus told us back in the Gospel. And you can't take apart the things that Jesus has joined. So I hope that has been maybe a little bit helpful for you in trying to understand the argument that John is making here. It's a lot of like layers on top of each other. Um, And whether it is or not, I needed to do it for myself in order to understand what he was saying. But maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, Jess, usually you get up here and you're a little nerdy, but I'm with you. Today, a step too far. Okay, oh maybe, maybe it's been a little too much like school for you today, I hear you. Maybe you're like, okay, great, so what? Like, what do we do with this? (laughs) So what? All right, so um, you remember each week we've talked about how John is really concerned about, pained by, in fact, the divisions that he's seen within the church. Right, like we've talked about that each week. And there are these political divisions between different leaders who are trying to assert their power. And there's these doctrinal and moral issues about what it really means to follow Jesus. And these things are causing divisions within the church. They're causing separation within the church. The letter is written to respond to these internal issues. It's not a letter to respond to persecution that the church is experiencing from from the outside. It's a letter written to rivalries and disputes within the community. And we don't know the details about what those were. But we don't really need to, right? Because I could have written that paragraph today about the issues that the church in North America is experiencing all across the country and across the hemisphere. That uh, John is writing because they have forgotten that it was not their behavior, that it was not their perfection, that it was not their alignments that made them children of God, that they are not entitled To being children of God. They didn't inherit it because their parents were children of God. They have forgotten that they are children of God because it is the gift of God. That this is not so much a do better text. Although if you're reading it today and you're feeling convicted, then maybe for you it is a do-better text. But it's not so much a do-better text as it is an identity text. This is a foundation text. This is a text to remind us about who we are, a text that we can use as a lens to hold up next to our lives and our faith and see if we're missing the mark. Are we doing it right? What John is saying here is both groundbreaking and not, right? Because Jesus said it a long time ago, he's just, you know, if you use, if you don't use, you don't use ten words when you could have used one, you're just not trying hard enough or whatever the saying is, right? Um, this isn't new, but it's hard, and it's easily forgotten, but it's foundational, and when we're missing the mark, it is imperative that we come back to our foundations. It's kind of like, uh, whatever sport, name your sport, whatever um, My understanding is that pretty much in every sport, as well as any discipline really that you take seriously, that there is an ongoing practice of going back to the basics. Okay, so like a basketball player is never too good of a basketball player to not practice dribbling and free throws, right? Like imagine a basketball player who shows up to practice and the coach says, we're gonna do some basic drills and the basketball player says, no, I'm too good for that, right? They don't last long on the team. It's the same like in piano, you're never so good at playing the piano that you don't need to practice your scales anymore. That's just a part of being in a discipline. I was talking to my friend Lauren, who is a personal trainer and she said that one of the things she tells her clients all the time is you have to own the movement before you load the movement. And what that means is that, say you're doing a squat, You need to be able to do the squat just with your body weight, with good form, before you start picking up weights and adding, you know, like a barbell or something to it, right? That you need to make sure that your knees are straight, that your chest is up, that your heels are down, and you need to be able to do it perfectly with nothing before you add anything to it. And when you don't do that, when you don't check to make sure you've got the form right, the foundation right, before you start adding stuff on, You pick up a weight that's too heavy and your form isn't right. And not only do you look dumb, but you're probably going to hurt yourself. And in the church, when we forget to make sure that we are being the church to one another, that we, we are loving one another with the love that we're supposed to have, when we forget to come back to those foundations, then we don't just hurt ourselves, we hurt one another. Other people get hurt in that process. So we always come back to this. Show me a person who is walking with and or sacrificing for another with hate in their heart for that other person. I don't think you can. Maybe there's hate in their heart for someone else, but if that's true, then we probably need to go back to the foundations all over again. I asked um, the Hanger family to tell me some stories of the most sacrificial examples of love that they have ever experienced, and the answers that I got back were stories about um, heartbreaking choices that their mothers had made in order to give their children a better life, about military spouses whose sacrifices are less seen but no less real, about friends who are walking through their own grief and heartache and struggle and yet still manage to be with other people who are also struggling, about sitting beside sick beds and waiting in hospital rooms, about drawing near when it seems like everyone else is pulling away. So we always come back to this, to our foundations, to how we love. Because God is love. And so we love one another. Practice this. Work on this. We'll never master this. We'll never be beyond this in our faith. When we're off course in our life or our relationships, our marriages, our families, whatever it is, our church, we come back to this. How are we loving one another? Now maybe I'm naive. But I honestly legitimately believe that love is the answer to every single problem we have in the world. Incarnate love. Sacrificial love. We need more of it. We need more of it in healthy ways, absolutely. We need more of it in ways that honor and respect the healing work that God is doing in your heart sometimes. But every single person has a piece of this to own. To own this kind of love somewhere in the world, A place where we are called to be the manifestation of God's continuing love for the world for another person. So how are we living with one another? How are we sharing joys and sorrows? How are we doing life together? How are we being incarnate? And how are we sacrificing for one another? How are we giving up something of value or importance to us, big or small, to put someone else's needs before our own? Little children... Love one another. For if that alone is done, it is enough. Let me pray for you. God, we love because you first loved us. It's so simple and yet so hard. You love us and therefore we need to love one another. But sometimes loving other people is Really complicated so God I ask that uh today as we sit with these words that you would um, help us draw to mind something some sacrifice some way that we can just take like another step towards doing something uh, for another person that represents value or importance in our lives Or maybe that you would just bring to mind a person, whether it's a person we're already in relationship with or someone we just are thinking we should be in relationship with that we can do life with, that we can walk with, that we can love in an incarnate way. God, this starts with just single steps, agape love. So help us to know what steps we should take today, this week, in the future. And God, may we build our life around this foundational idea That you love us, and so we must love one another. We do love you, Jesus. In your name we pray.